Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So the brand new sermon series we started last week that we're going to review some of the things that Pastor Rocky said last week uh, was that God designed us to need margin. We as human beings are designed in a way where we are, are not meant to live, um, you know, wall to wall. We are not meant to just go 100 miles an hour all our lives. We are, are made and designed and created in a way where margin should be a part of our lives. And he explained that margin is the space between our load and our limit, and that we should have some space between our load and our limit. And instead of creating margin, a lot of times what we do is we fill up our lives to the edges, and it leaves us on edge, ready to snap at any given moment. We see that now, probably more than ever, our culture, our society, especially in the United States of America, we are just, I mean, going at it on the grind all the time. And it seems like it's hard to find ways to build that margin. But here's what Pastor Rocky said that has challenged me, challenged me last week, has been challenging me ever since every time I think about this statement because I know how true it is. He said that you are selfish in whatever area you do not create margin in. You're selfish in whatever area of your life there is no margin. And that's hard to hear because first of all, we don't like being called selfish, but it's hard to hear because it is so true. When we don't allow moments and space in our lives, when our lives are so busy that we don't have any time for anything at all and we have zero margin, when God wants to speak to us when God wants to do something through us, there's no room for him to move. And so it is important for us to have space in our lives. We've got to have margin. And this whole idea is centered around the idea of Sabbath. And I, I just, I want to introduce myself officially because I just always kind of assume that everybody knows who I am. Uh, but some of you just know me as the guy that gets up at the end of service. And then when I start speaking, you're almost out the door. So um, I'm, I'm the guy you like to see, I guess. I don't know. Um, but my name's Andrew. I'm the administrative pastor here at DCC. I've been here for, on staff for almost 10 years now. Um, and, uh, and my wife is uh, the beautiful woman that was bouncing up and down a lot, playing the guitar right here. Um, and uh, <laughs> you have more fans than I do. <laughs> Literally just one. Like I have zero, you have one, but you know, it's 100% more than I do. Um, and, um, and we've been married 10 years uh, last March, and so uh, we have two kids. We have a six-year-old daughter named Riley, and we have next month, our son Lincoln will be a year old, which is crazy to me to think about because he was just born yesterday, so I don't know how that happens. Uh, and all of you that I talk to, that I, you know, I start talking about our kids, and they're like, just don't blink, don't blink. It goes so fast. Stop telling me that. It hurts my feelings, okay? So just let me, let me live in my naive world that she's going to be you know, six forever, and he's going to be not even one forever. But I, 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 being a dad is, is amazing. Being a dad is like the best and hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. You know, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and it's been really interesting in our home to see this play out because what we have found, my wife and I have found that as we look at our kids, we realize that there is this balance of personalities in our home. As our son is starting to get a little bit older and develop somewhat of a personality, as much of a personality as an 11-month-old can have, but there, there's this balance because you see, I... Uh, myself and my wife, we are very different. We are, personality-wise, we could probably not be any further away from each other. I am, you know, kind of just right down the line. I'm kind of just chill, and she, well, you saw her, so um, you, you see what... <laughs> 
No lie. Somebody told me recently, they're like, I really like to watch you and your wife stand next to each other on the front row during music on Sundays because he, you know, the person was like, she's bouncing up and down. She's going everywhere. He's like, I think she's going to hit you sometimes. I don't know what's like flailing around. And you're just so serious and stoic. Just kind of said, I'm like, don't judge my worship. You don't know me. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But... But we're very different. We're very different. And we see these personalities coming out in, in our kids. And, and it's weird because the, our, our kids look very similar to one of us. So like my son uh, favors the characteristics of, of my wife. So she, he's got uh, lighter skin. He's got blue eyes and blonde hair. Um, but man, he acts just like me so far as, again, as far as an 11 month old is concerned. He's just chill. Like he just kind of, you know, he's just kind of there like, hey, what's up? You know, there's no, there's not a whole lot of peaks and valleys. Um, um, he'll just kind of stare you down for a while if he does not know you, uh, and you will think that he's really mean. He's not. He's really nice. This is some. This is me also saying, if I look like that, I'm sorry. I'm not mean. I'm really nice. Uh, but he just has that look. Like his lip. His lip kind of sticks out on the bottom because, well, that's because all the fat that he's got in his face, which was really, really cute for an 11 month old. And um, so that's that's been fun to watch him develop his personality. But my daughter Riley. My daughter Riley has a lot of the physical features that I have. She's got darker skin and she's got brown eyes. When I had hair, it was dark and curly. She's got dark and curly hair. No jokes out of anyone. Um, <clears throat> you had hair? <laughs> I know it was coming. Um, but she acts so much like my wife. Her, their personalities are the same. Parents, do you have any kids that the personality is the same as yours? You know, you know what happens when that happens? You know? And, um, and, and so she, she is, she is Deanna in many form. I can't tell you how many times she said or done something and I'll just look at Deanna and Deanna and be like, I know, I know, it's me, it's me, you know? And so, but, but it's funny because they're, they're creative and they're passionate and they're, you know, enthusiastic and energetic and all these amazing qualities. But one thing that their personality does not lend itself to is focus, uh, especially on mundane everyday tasks. Like if it's a new thing or something exciting, focused all in, uh, if it's something that's just kind of like part of of life, like, man, I could care less, you know what I mean? And so bedtime routine at our home is always really fun. Um, and when I say fun, you need to know I'm very sarcastic about that. Um, because it just, just getting our daughter to the point where it's, it's like, like she can actually get into bed is a, a challenge for sure. Because what I say, I know that I say this, like I hear myself say it, go brush your teeth and go get jammies on. That's how we, that's how we roll. We roll with jammies. I don't know how many, what do you call it, but it's wrong. Jammies is right. So um, go brush your teeth, get jammies on. That's what I say. What she hears is go into the bathroom and play with the water all over the sink and then empty all the toothpaste out and just have a great time for like 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Until I come in there and say, what are you doing? Like, I, like it happens every time. And I'm like, I should know by now, but whatever. So it, it, by the time we get to where she's actually ready for bed, then she flips the switch and then she does what I did when I was a kid and what probably most of you did when you were a kid. You try to extend the time that you're awake because for some reason in a child's mind, when they they go to sleep, the real party happens in life. I don't know what it is, but it's like they try every excuse and everything to try and stay awake a little longer. You know, daddy, just five more minutes, five more minutes, you know? And you know, I'm like, no, no, no five more minutes, you know, and no more, no more time. You're going to bed. You don't get any, any more. I remember a couple 
months ago, she looked at, uh, at me and my wife and she said, she said, it's not fair that I have to go to bed early. You guys get to stay up like all night. And I'm like, child, if you only knew that I wish I could go to bed at 7.30 every single night, I have to stay up after you go to bed, like, right? And so, but she's like, just five more minutes. No, no, five more minutes. So we, we get into bed and I'm reading her stories, you know, and we read a Bible story every night. And she, uh, you know, she, she listens and then every time she says, can we read one more story? So what am I supposed to do? Like, put yourself in my shoes. I'm a pastor, right? I'm in the ministry and I'm a dad. And so I could say no and mess both of those things up at the same time, right? Because like, you don't get the pastor of the year award or the dad of the year award by saying, no child, you cannot read any more of the Bible today. Like, Bible is cut off. You're not allowed to learn any more about God. You can't talk to Jesus anymore because it's time to go to sleep, right? You can't do that. And so she gets another story out of me and maybe she's like, oh, well, can I just have one more sip of water? You know, that trick. I'm like, I invented this game. You can't play this game. Like, I know what you're doing, child, you know? And so, but there's always this more. I want to stay up more. I want this more, 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 more. And you know that that's kind of how kids are. That's kind of how their mentality is focused on more, more, more. If you don't believe me, then just take a kid to Toys R Us. Just, just find out what that's all about. Just do it. Because kids, we know they just want more and more and more. And here's the deal. We don't grow out of that. When we become adults, when we're not kids anymore, it is not something that we leave behind us. Our whole lives, really, we are trying to attain and gain. We are trying to get more all the time. It just changes from five minutes more awake, uh, you know, for for bedtime and, you know, one more story to uh, I want more money. I want more status. I want more position, more time, more things, more titles, more, bigger, better, faster, stronger, shiny, new. We want more. And it's been this way from the very beginning of humanity. God, in his infinite wisdom, created everything that we see. He created the universe. And then he puts man and woman in this garden. And in this garden are all these trees. And he says, you can eat anything from any tree you want, except for one. Just don't touch the fruit and don't even get near that one tree. And what is the one thing they do? It's the one thing they're not supposed to because they wanted more. They wanted more. What they had was not enough. They needed more. And it's not just that we're kind of like, as humans, we kind of have this bend toward this mindset of we need more, we want more, 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 more. It's not just that that just happens naturally. It's also that we are bombarded with messages that, that trick us into thinking that we need more. Like you cannot watch a football game if you watch the commercials without thinking that you need a new truck. Like every single time I watch football, I'm like, I do, I need a new truck. Like I don't have a truck, but I need a new one. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's there. It's like, we need, we, need, we need something else. We need something more. You can't get online without seeing a flashing banner come up and saying, you need more of whatever we're selling and it's 30% off if you click this thing right now, right? So more, we need more, we need more. Facebook and Instagram. Instagram allows us to creepily stalk people that we know in real life that we would never ask, hey, what does your meal consist of tonight? But they're going to put a picture of it online. And so we compare our meals to theirs. We compare our vacations to theirs. We compare our house and our car and our lifestyle to those other people online. And we feel like if we don't get what they have or more than they have, then our life is somehow absolutely incomplete. Now, I want to be careful. I want to be careful because here's what I don't want. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, Pastor Andrew's just telling me that if I want anything new or nice, that, that, it's, that it's somehow a sin. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying that if you want a new truck that it's a sin. I'm not saying that if you want a new house or a bigger this or a nicer this or a shinier whatever, I'm not saying that's a sin. As long as the thing itself is not sinful, there's no sin in wanting better things, newer things, other things. There's no sin in wanting more. However, where this becomes a slippery slope is when we start to believe that whatever it is that we want more of, that that thing will make us happy. That's a slippery slope because we all know that that's not true. I said that and you're like, yeah, no joke. We all know that, but do we act like we know that? Because a lot of us live our lives in ways that we forget that constantly. Like, I, I think, I, like we feel like if I get more of this, more of this, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be you know, settled in life, then I'll be content if I just get this, get this, get more, get more, get more, and we convince ourselves that we need more. And the problem is, is that when we convince ourselves that we need more of whatever it is that we think we need more of, we go and we get it, we attain it, we achieve it somehow, some way. Whether through luck and we win the lottery, or the more common way is that we work to get what we want, right? That makes sense. If we want more of something, we're going to work harder to get more money to get that thing that we want more of. But here is the vicious cycle that is created. When we give in to the desire of wanting more and more and more and more, the vicious cycle looks kind of like this. I want more. I work more. I get more. I want even more. I work even more, I get even more. I want even more than that, I work even more than that, I get even more than that. And so it's just this cycle that you get caught in and caught in. And by the time you look around, you are so consumed with work and with trying to, to just get and consume everything around you that you can to get more and more and more. You have zero margin in your life. Sabbath does not exist. You're worn out, you're tired, you're unhappy, and you're really no good to anybody. Because what happens is when we get caught in this vicious cycle of work more, want more, get more, we find ourselves unhappy. We find ourselves without any margin at all. Here's the great news. You ready? You want some good news? Because I've pretty much depressed everybody so far, right? <clears throat> the good news is there's a cure. There's a cure. There is a cure for this addiction that we have to get more things, more stuff. There is a cure. The problem is it's not easy. And so most of us, we don't stick at it very long. But the cure is margin. The cure is Sabbath because Sabbath is in direct opposition with the idea that we need more. Sabbath is exactly on the other side of the world of more. So if this is, I want more, I need more, I need all this stuff, Sabbath says, no, I don't need a bunch of things. I, what I need to do, I need to rest. I need to rest and I need to put my faith in a God who can provide whatever it is that I think that I need and whatever it is that he wants to provide for me. And so today, just with a few minutes that we have to this morning, I, I want to take a little bit of time investigating and looking at Sabbath and how it came to be and, and how it really started in humanity. And so we're going to go all the way back to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 8. So Exodus 20 and verse 8 is where we're going to start. Exodus 28, 20, verse 8, says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, 
or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here's what we have here is what we have is we've got Moses now reading to the people of Israel, the Israelites, these commandments that God has given him on top of Mount Sinai. Now the place that they're in, we need to get some context to really understand why he's saying what he's saying because the Israelites were in captivity. They were slaves. They didn't get a choice of whether they were going to have a Sabbath or not. They didn't get any choices. They worked seven days a week for the Egyptian society that controlled them, that owned them, and that made them work their fingers to the bone every single day. But God had enough of it, and he set them free. They are literally just straight off the heels of walking through this massive body of water, the Red Sea that parted on two sides, and they walked through on dry ground. But when the Egyptian army tried to chase them, the, the sea swallowed them up. I mean, they've seen all of these things happen. And so now they've gone from being complete slaves, no control over any part of their life, working seven days a week all the time, having no rest, having no option for any kind of, of, of rest or recreation or anything like that, to now being out in the wilderness with absolutely zero zero direction. They went from being told what to do every single day, every single minute, to having no direction at all. And so there, as you can imagine, are going to arise some problems. And so God gave them this, this manifesto, if you will, this, this com these commandments that we now know as the Ten Commandments, saying, if, if you're going to thrive in, in this place that I've put you, if you're going to thrive in freedom, you're going to have to obey these Ten Commandments. And so he comes down off the mountain, Moses does, after having this encounter with God, and, and God gives him these commandments to tell all these people. And when he comes down, he starts telling them all the commandments. And we know them. We know most of them. And, and what's interesting to me is that when you read through a list of the Ten Commandments, most of them are just the, the, the what, like, like, like what you're supposed to do or what you're not supposed to do, right? There's no, there's no why behind it. There's no explanation. And I think because some of that is counterintuitive. You know, if, if I told you, hey, murdering is a bad idea. You're like, yeah, no joke. That makes sense. I get that. That makes sense to me. You know, adultery, not good. Oh, okay, yes, I also understand that. But when it comes to Sabbath, when Moses says what God told him to say to the people, and when he sets this whole thing up, and he says, six days you're going to work, but one day you're going to take off, you're not going to do any work, you're not going to create any work for anyone else, and you are going to rest, you're going to set it aside, you're going to keep it holy, and by keeping it holy, it is worship to God who created you. When he gives that what, he says, six days work, one day no work, then he gives a why. It's one of the only commandments when he gives a why to the reason, giving some background on why we should do this, on why the Israelites should practice Sabbath. And when he goes into it, he starts talking about creation. He starts talking about how God created the heavens and the earth. And when he did, he worked for six days creating. And then on the seventh day, he took a break. He rested. And so we are created in the image of God. God set this rhythm in motion through the beginning of time for us to work and work and work and then to rest. And so he points back to creation and says, the reason that we're going to do this, the reason that God wants us to have Sabbath is because this is who we are created in the image of. And so in order to be like God, then we have to order our lives like God has taught us to order our lives. And that's what they do or try to do. But we know that they mess up really bad, a lot. And they, they do all kinds of, of, of things that are, are so far outside of the boundaries that God has provided for them to be successful. 
that God eventually has to say, this, this whole generation of people, you are not going to be able to enter into the promised land that I've got set aside for you. You can't do it. You've been too sinful. You've, you've, you've distrusted too much. You've, you've gone back on your word with me too much. And so what happens for the next 40 years is that the Israelites just wander around in the wilderness, in the desert, in the middle of nowhere as this whole generation dies off. So 40 years have gone by. That whole generation is gone, and there's a whole new generation of young Israelites that don't don't know really what it's like to be slaves. They may have heard stories from mom and dad or grandma or grandpa, but they don't really truly know firsthand what it's like to have zero freedom and not have to be able to choose anything at all for their own lives. And so now Moses is later in his life, probably just, just days away from the, the end of his life, and he knows what's coming. He knows that he's going to die and that he'll have someone else take his place leading these Israelites, these young Israelites into this promised land that God has given for them. And so what Moses does is he wants to make sure that these younger Israelite men and women know the commandments, know the law. And so he starts to tell the story again of what the expectations are from God for this group of people. And we can find this later on in your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it's, uh, we'll start in verse 12, Deuteronomy 5, 12. A lot of this is going to sound really similar, and the reason that it does is because it is. And so verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Pause right there, just pause. So this looks very, very close, almost identical, almost word for word, line for line, almost the same exact thing because this is the commandment from God. Moses isn't gonna try and change that. He's not trying to, he's not trying to, to, to do something different here. This is the what. The what is you are going to, to be, um, to be everything that God wants you to be, you're going to have to practice Sabbath in your life. This is the what. But then when he goes on to explain why to a new generation, the why changes. It points back to the same thing, but the why changes because this is how he explains why Sabbath is important to this younger generation of Israelites. In verse 15, he said, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Back at the foothills of Mount Sinai, as soon as he had been chosen to lead the Israelites out in the Red Sea behind them and wilderness in front of them. And he's talking about the why behind the Ten Commandments. He's talking about creation. He's talking about we are going to do Sabbath because it is how God patterned our lives to be. And now, 40 years later, he's explaining to a new generation that here is the reason that you practice Sabbath. Because if you don't practice Sabbath, essentially what Moses is saying is, it's the same thing as being back in Egypt. It's the same thing as being a slave. Should you choose not to practice Sabbath? Should you choose to work seven full days a week and give yourself no rest and not put one day aside to worship, not put one day aside as holy, not put one day aside to say, God, you are in control of it all and you can do more in one day than I can do in a whole week. If we don't do that, what Moses is saying is it is basically like you are submitting yourself to slavery, but not slavery to a people group, not slavery to the Egyptians anymore, but you are 
are becoming a slave to more. You have chained yourself. If you choose to go against what God wants you to do for Sabbath, you've chained yourself to slavery to more. Because what the Israelites were in the world where they were in this, the, the, when they were slaves in, in uh, Egypt, that, that whole, their whole slavery was really just there so that they could build storehouses for all of the riches that the Egyptians couldn't fit in their own places in other places. They were there because of this desire for more, a whole society, a whole culture of Egyptians. That's all they wanted was more, 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 more. And so it, it, it created this environment where slavery was the only way to achieve more. And so when Moses says this, he knows exactly what he's saying. It's controversial. It's messed up, to be really honest. But who would know better than Moses, who saw it firsthand while he's telling all of these people that have only heard stories about him. So he's saying, listen, if you choose not to Shabbat, if you choose not to practice Sabbath in your life, then essentially what you're doing is you are making yourself a slave to more. The constant, unchecked pursuit of more is slavery. It makes us a slave to the things that we actually attain. Because that's the, that's, the, that's the whole thing here, isn't it? I mean, we can work our whole lives to get more and more and more, and then we end up with all of these things that own us, and we don't own them anymore. Sabbath puts things in perspective. Sabbath makes sure that the order is correct. Sabbath says no to the slavery of more, and it says yes to freedom. But if we're going to really walk in this freedom that Sabbath can provide for us, we're going to have to get better at saying no to some opportunities that seem really, really good for us to say yes to, but we're going to be saying yes to this slavery of more. Let me explain in my own life how this has played out in the last couple of months. Uh, I do the design, the graphic design here at the church. And... um, and I, I, enjoy, I enjoy it. It's something I, I really do enjoy, but I, I do it a lot here. And um, I have some friends. I don't have a, a side business. It's nothing like that. But I have some people that know that I do design. They've asked me to do some, like, kind of freelance things on the side. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they pay me for it, which is always nice because my wife is a Christian private school teacher and I'm in ministry. So it's not like we're like Scrooge McDuck jumping in a whole pile of coins, you know. Um, <clears throat> some of you really got that and it connected. <laughs> Google Scrooge McDuck, if you don't know what that is. If you don't know how to Google something, just don't worry about it. Um, and, uh, and so I would do this from time to time. I would pick up these little side jobs and design things for people. And, and I had a, a period of time, for some reason, there were, there were three or four uh, opportunities that I had to do some, some design stuff on the side to make some extra money. Um, and, and initially I just wanted to say yes, because I'm like, it's, it's extra money. Who's going to turn down extra money, you know? And so, um, but I, I, I took a beat and I just kind of stepped back from the whole thing. And I, I really just took a, a self-evaluation, my life margins, how busy was I, do I have time for this? And, and I, I started really looking at things, uh, critically. Um, we were in a time in our life, there was a lot of, there was a lot of transition. We had just had our son. And so he was still an infant. My wife had just gone back to work. Um, I was actually teaching a class, um, at the, at the same school where my, my children go and where my wife works. I was, I was teaching one class three times a week in the mornings, a Bible class for eighth graders. Um, and so my, I, I started looking at all these things and, and I realized that, that my margins, if I would add anything to my plate, things would start spilling over. My margins would not be as wide as I felt like I needed them to be, to be, to be useful to my family, to be, to be effective in the things that God wants me to do. And so I had to come to a really tough decision. It might not be a big deal to you, but for me it was. And I had to, I had to say no. I had to say no. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. I'm just too busy. I've got too much stuff going on. 
it, to be really, really honest, can I just be really honest with you guys? Um, you didn't say yes, so I guess not. All right, we'll move on. I'm going to lie to you guys then for the rest of the time. Um, that's what I get for asking a rhetorical question. But um, <clears throat> so I was not... I was not conflicted in my motives for the money at all, honestly. I mean, I, I, it would have been nice to have, but it's, it's it, you know, we, it, it wasn't like I needed that money to pay this bill this week or else something bad was going to happen. It was, we're not in that place in life. And so uh, it wasn't about the money. To me, my, my more, my needing more was, was more about approval. Um, I, I hate to disappoint people. I hate to let people down. I hate it. And so I felt like if I said no to somebody that asked me to do something for them, even if they were paying me, I felt like I was letting them down. I felt like, okay, I, I, I need to say yes because I need to come through for this person. And it was really, really difficult. It really was. But here's what I figured out in my life. I figured out in my life, if I'm going to start saying no to more, which is this, this disease, it's this desire that we want more, 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 right? In any area, if I'm going to say no to more, then I figured out I'm gonna disappoint some people. I figured that out. If you're gonna make a choice to add some margin to your life, you are absolutely gonna disappoint some people because you're gonna to have to say no to some opportunities that might be fine. It might not be anything bad, but it just might not be for you. It might not be the right time for you. And so you're gonna to have to have some conversations where you're saying no to people that have influence over your job. You might have opportunities come up at your job to advance in ways that would be fantastic financially for you, but it would take all the time away that you would have and you would have zero margin and you might have to find yourself in a place saying no to someone who kind of controls your fate in your job or in your career. You may find yourself in places where it gets really, really hard to say no to some opportunities. But when we say no to more, we disappoint people, but here's what I've figured out in my life is that I would rather disappoint people. I would absolutely every day rather disappoint people and please God. Amen. I would rather disappoint every single person in this room. Not that I want to, but I would rather disappoint all of you if it meant that I would please God with my actions and my choices and the way that I live my life. Anytime that you say no to something, you're also saying yes to something else. And here's what I found in, in that time in my life when I was saying no to some of these outside side jobs that I could have taken up is I, f I found that when I said no to that, I was saying yes to things subconsciously. It wasn't necessarily on purpose, but anytime you make a choice, you're saying no to something, saying yes to something else. And so I said no to designing something on a Friday night when I would usually have off. And then that gave me an opportunity to say yes to have a date night with my wife. You know, I, I said no to designing on a weeknight on my couch when I'm zoned in on my laptop, working, 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 and my kids need my attention. I said no to that so that I could say yes to actually getting on the floor and playing with my kids. When we say no to things, it opens us up to be able to say yes to the things in our lives that really matter. Every time we say no to something, we allow ourselves to say yes to something else. And I don't know what that means for you in your life. I don't know what, what, what you're going to have to start saying no to or no about. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. But I promise you, when you say no to those things, it allows you to say yes to other things. When we say no to more, we say yes to margin. When we say no to, to this constant feeling like we have to have more, then we are saying yes to margin. And here's the reason that this is so hard. Here's the reason why you're not amening, and here's the reason why we're not all jumping up and down and being like, this is the best, because there's, there's like this, this whole loss of control thing that happens. 
When we talk about creating margin, when we talk about Sabbath especially, we're talking about trusting God. We're talking about there's one day this week that I'm not going to do anything that can, that can necessarily profit me in a way where I can get more stuff. And so I'm going to have to really just trust that God's going to come through for me. I'm going I'm to have to trust that God's going to be able to do in one day that I give him, he's going to be able to do more than in seven days that I just work and work and work and grind and grind and grind. It's just that I'm going to have to trust. And it's so hard to do that. It's so hard to do that, but it becomes easier to do that when we understand the God that we are surrendering that day to. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God can bless you with everything you need and you will always have more. Everybody say more. More, more than enough to do all kinds of good things for others. You see, until you believe that God is more than enough, more will never be enough. Until you believe that God is who he says he is, until you believe this scripture right here that God is a God of more than enough, then the more that you get, it will never be enough. You will always be dissatisfied. You will always be unhappy. You will always be reaching for the next thing and stretching for something else and trying to get more because it's never going to satisfy you. But when we rest on the Sabbath and when we create margin, then we're saying, okay, God, you know what? I'm not trying to get this for myself. I'm just trusting that you're going to provide for me whatever it is that you think that I need or what would be best for me. Now, I'm not suggesting we do this every day. That's not what Sabbath is about. It doesn't say just sit around for seven days and then hope something great happens. Do you know God is a God of work? God worked for six days. It's up to, up to us to work those days. But when it comes time to rest, we need to trust that he is more than enough. And we can just let go of this idea of getting more and more and more and more. Sabbath is all about believing. I don't need more. I just need God. That's what it really comes down to. Sabbath is about believing that I don't need more of whatever it is that I think I need. I just, I just need more of God. I love this scripture. It stood out to me so, uh, so much as I've been preparing for this sermon. Galatians 4, 7 says this, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also, God has made you also an heir. I want to read it again. So you are no longer a slave. You're not a slave anymore. You're not a slave to more. You don't, have to, you don't have to buy into what society tells you. You don't have to buy into the commercials. You don't have to buy into that idea that you need all these things to be happy or to be something that you're not, or to retain some status in life that'll make you complete. You're not a slave, but you're God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. An heir means that you get everything that the king gets. A son, a daughter of the king, son, a daughter of royalty, they're in the line. And so when everything gets passed down, it gets passed down to that heir. And so as we think about our lives and we think about creating margin, we think about trying to just get more and more and more and more. What if we put it in this context? That if we just try and get more, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves into slavery for more. But if we choose to create margin, if we choose Sabbath, then that means that we are recognizing that we are sons, and that we are daughters of the Most High King. And if there's ever a need that we have, do we really think that he can't come through? Do we really for one second think that God is not powerful enough, amazing enough, all-knowing enough to make it happen for us? That perspective 
changes things. That perspective means I don't have to carry the weight. That perspective means that I'm just gonna trust that as a son or a daughter of the king, I'm gonna let him provide for me. But it takes us saying no to more. So say no to more and say yes to the God who is more than enough. Say no to slavery and say yes to freedom. Say no to work and say yes to worship one day out of seven that he gives us. Say no to pride, say yes to humility. Say no to comparison, say yes to contentment. Say no to self-reliance, say yes to trust. Say yes to Sabbath, say yes to margin. This morning, just say yes. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.